Welcome to the Andrew Scut Show. My guest today is Mr. John J. Giordano. He is an expert in the treatment of addiction and mental health. He's the founder of the National Institute for Holistic Addiction Studies, and he is the author of Proven Holistic Treatment for Addiction and Chronic Relapse, and his most recent book, How to Beat Your Addictions and Live a Quality Life. In addition to that, Mr. Giordano has contributed to over 73 publications related to addiction and recovery. We had an awesome discussion, and I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. All right, John, we are now live. Good to have you here, my friend. Well, good to be here. Absolutely. Uh, you were just telling me before we went live that not all, not only are you an expert on trauma and addiction and have several books out and papers published and whatnot, but you are also a karate grandmaster. Yes, I've been doing that for a little over 60 years. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Um, like I told you, Black Belt Hall of Fame, National Karate Champion, all that stuff. All that stuff. You, you say it as if it's this uh, very mundane accomplishment of yours. Well, I, I do so many things that, you know, it, it's not about ego or anything like that. I just tell people what I do that, you know, that you could do anything. And even if you, you know, into sports and, uh, you know, you're smart, it doesn't matter because you still can get caught up with addiction like I did. So I'm coming up on now 37 years in recovery. So that's probably a good place to start then. Can you, um, as an expert on addiction, as you mentioned just now, what, what has your experience been like personally with addiction? Well, addiction, unfortunately, is 60 years behind, 70 years behind the times. And in 1950, uh, they came up with an idea of putting it together for 28 days. And it was uh, in treatment. And uh, that was for alcoholism. And uh, it's too short of a time. And first of all, this is, we're talking about uh, drug addiction, which affects people way, way differently than alcohol. They end up the same, dead institutions or jail, but it's a different, uh, a whole different symptoms. So, yeah. yeah. So the treatment centers, uh, they're supposed to be a medical model. They're not. They're a psychological model. And that's what I lecture about, you know. See, there's also genetics. I work with Dr. Ken Blum. He's the geneticist who found the addiction gene. Most people don't even know there's an addiction gene. So now, if just because you have the gene doesn't mean that you're going to become an addict because there's such a thing called epigenetics. Now, epigenetics means the social environment can change the gene expression. So you may never become an addict just because you have the gene. So... There's a lot of things that are co-contributing factors to addiction that we're not looking at. I know if addicts become depressed, okay, or they have anxiety and things of that nature, what happens? They look to medicate. Now, that's just the beast, the way it is. So we're not looking at the co-contributing factors to depression and anxiety. We're only looking at the psychological piece, which is an important piece, but it's not the only piece. 
in order to treat people comprehensively, we must get a medical on them to see what's really going on. If you have a low thyroid, you're going to have depression and anxiety. If you're going to have leaky gut syndrome or H. pylori infection, causes depression and anxiety. If you have hypoglycemia, causes depression and anxiety. If you have a closed head injury, causes depression and anxiety and behavioral problems. And if you have heavy metal toxicity, it can also cause neurotransmitter interruption in the brain, which mimics uh, bipolar disorder and attention deficit disorder. We're not looking at this stuff. We got to bring treatment up to the 21st century. Most addicts that come in, if not all, come into treatment, nutrient deficient and volume depleted, meaning they don't drink hardly any water at all. And of course, what addicts eat or what alcoholics eat is like really not too good if they eat at all. So these are some of the things that when I lecture to scientists and doctors and researchers and counselors, nobody argues with it because it's, it's in the medical books. This is what happens when you have these types of conditions. So why aren't we treating that along with the psychological? It doesn't make sense because the insurance companies, their job is not to pay you. And the treatment centers, their job is to get paid. So they don't want extra tests. They don't want this. They don't want that. They just want a certain standard of care, which doesn't work. You know, you keep doing the same things over and over again, expecting different results. I don't think that's too smart. So that's what's going on in the industry. And the government keeps throwing money at addiction with a broken treatment center. Doesn't make any sense. So that's why I go on these podcasts. And that's why uh, I I do this lecture. I've lectured to over 200 countries. And after the end of my lecture, inevitably, everybody comes around. We never thought of that. Well, of course not. You're not trained to look at it that way. And see, that's the problem. We don't look at people as whole people. We only look at the head. So let's send the head to treatment and leave the body home. <laughs> Last time I checked, they're all connected. Yeah, yeah. And they call your gut the second brain. There's a reason. Most people don't know this either. 90% of dopamine and serotonin is, is manufactured in your gut. It goes up the vagus nerve and deposits into your brain. So if your gut's out of whack, whack guess what? You're out of whack. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned several things wrong with the current model of treating addiction. Um, like, for instance, you, 28 days, too, too short a time frame. Like, what's a better time frame? How, how can we... Okay, like, here's the deal. When you look at it business-wise and therapeutically, first of all, addicts come into treatment. They get, they, they get detoxed. They're still in a fog. Okay, I don't even know why they call them detox centers, to be honest with you. They're really stabilization units. Because if you look up detox in the in their uh, dictionary, it means to detoxify, not add other toxins in to counteract other toxins. Okay, so yeah. they're really not detox centers, they're stabilization units. Now, when they come out of detox, they're still their brain is not functioning pro- properly. They've been doing drugs 10 years, 20 years, five years. Your brain's not working right. And now you got these other drugs inside of you that have to leave eventually, which is called half-life. They last so long, and then the other part lasts so long. 
and it's gone. So for you think about two weeks, two and a half weeks, they're still like, you know, not really wrapped too tight. They're nasty, they're anxious, they, they want to use, they got all of this stuff going on when you get out of detox. All right. So maybe, just maybe, they need a counselor that they can get into rapport with. All right. And by that time, it's time to leave. So business wives, business wives for uh, uh, what do you call insurance companies is simple because let's say you decide to go to a treatment center. You go in, you come out, you relapse, you go into another treatment center. You go into that treatment center, a month later you relapse, and then you go to another one. If you start adding up all the money, why don't we do it right the first time? We'll have better outcomes. So the question was, how long? Okay, there's a, um, uh, a treatment for doctors, okay, that lasts 90 days, inpatient, okay, five-year aftercare. Because <clears throat> treatment just scratches the surface. It's the aftercare that really matters, okay? They both matter, but aftercare matters, I think, even more. So we have that model that works. So depending on the severity of the illness, it should be anywhere from 60 to 90 days for us to work on somebody. Not 28 days with somebody that doesn't even know what the, I know. I was in treatment. I don't even remember what the hell they were saying. I mean, really. I mean, come on. I've just come off a run. I'm in treatment. And they were expecting me to, to put together and then spill my guts to somebody I don't even know. You know, when I was in treatment, they said, hey, if I'm going to tell you my secrets, I have to kill you. <laughs> you know? I mean, and this is what addicts go through. What people go through. Yeah. And it's all ages. There's, there's, addiction doesn't know any boundaries. There's doctors, lawyers, street people, um, movie stars. I mean, I've seen them all. So this is where we're up against. Yeah. It's about money. It's not about health. Yeah. So I guess for somebody that doesn't know much about addiction or how it works, but just kind of, you know, sees things in the news and whatever, um, or, or maybe has personal experience with it, uh, but doesn't have a, a clinical understanding or, or anything. How would you describe addiction to somebody? Like, how does addiction work? It's real simple. People say, well, how do you know someone's an addict? I'll give you a very simple answer. When you continue to use a substance or a behavior in spite of adverse consequences, maybe you got a problem. That's simple. See, now, the way we look at addiction, Dr. Blum and myself and a bunch of other doctors and scientists, we call it RDS, Reward Deficiency Syndrome. Now, what does all that mean? That means you have a lack of dopamine and you don't have enough receptor sites in your brain because you're genetically predisposed. So you seek dopamine to, to upregulate your mind, okay, your dopamine. So that's what happens. Okay, so most people, they look to do drugs and alcohol to upregulate themselves. So yeah. that's how you know whether you have an addiction or not. Now, if you do, most addicts, they try to stop and they switch. Now, what we call it RDS is because there's behaviors involved. There's sex addiction. There's gambling. There's spending. You know, people say, oh, sex. You know, what do you mean sex addiction? Real simple. 
you start to use, you start to go and have sex with people unprotected, and then you go home to your girlfriend or your wife and you give others disease, I would say that's a problem. Or you're cheating on your wife or your husband. I would say that's something, and you continue to do that in relationship after relationship. So to me, those are adverse consequences. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I, I guess, how do you draw the line between adverse consequences, though? Because I'm thinking of something like, you know, uh, you know, I love ice cream. Ice cream, I always tell people, is my favorite food group. Um, I'm, I, it, it's excellent. But, uh, and, and I, I definitely sometimes eat it more than I should, right? But is that really addiction or is there a certain level of... No, let me ask you a question. Are you diabetic? No. Okay, well, if you were and you kept eating ice cream, what would you call it? Right. Okay, but, well, there's your answer. I, so, but I mean, say I was overweight and out of shape and and something like that. Like, is me continuing to eat ice cream like an addictive thing? Well, if you want diabetes and you want to have high blood pressure and you want to have other diseases because of what you're doing to your body, would you think it's a good idea to do that? Yeah, but I don't want to never eat ice cream either. You know what I mean? You know, it, 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 look, it's real simple. I, I never wanted to stop drugs either. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose most people don't when they're in the thick of it, right? You know what it is? It's real simple stuff. It's like, look, if something's harming you and you continue to do it, okay, you got to take a look at that. All right? No, maybe you can do it once a week, you know, or something, have a cheat meal, you know, whatever. All right? But if it's harming you and you continue to harm this body that a God, whatever you call God, of your understanding, gave you as a gift, to me, what we do with that body and that mind and that soul is a gift back to that creator. So what kind of gift do you want to give back? You know, if you're knowingly doing things that are harming you, okay, then you have to take a look at it. Otherwise, it'll take a look at you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it, it's interesting. You, you phrase it that way, you know, uh, respecting the, the creator by being good to your body. Like, I mean, but I don't know if it's like, would you say that everyone who goes through a McDonald's drive through is, is an addict and disrespecting the creator though? Cause they're putting garbage in their body. Look, you know, look, look what you just said. They're putting what in their body? Garbage. Why would you want to put garbage in this beautiful body you got? I guess because I'm addicted to McDonald's. What can I say? Those, well, well, those, you know those McFlurries yeah. are tasty. Look, if you, I've traveled all around the world and I lectured all around the world. And if you look at different cultures, if you look at the Chinese, for instance, you don't see fat Chinese people running around and playing English or people that are like that, that have all these other kind of ailments because of their overweight. Okay? But if you start to go back to China now, you're going to see that. Why? You got McDonald's there. You got KFC there. You got, listen, we all, you know what it is? The scientists that make up these foods know what our taste buds like. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this is this honest answer. Okay. Do they taste great? Yeah, they taste great. You know, but they have a consequence. Now, if you're willing to take the consequence, okay. You know, who's to tell you what to do? Do whatever you want. It's your body. You know. But for me, I do the best I can. Do I do anything perfect? Absolutely not. You know? 
But, you know, until sometimes we're in a lot of pain or sometimes we have consequences, we decide to change things. I bet you you won't keep eating ice cream if you got diabetes and started maybe getting sores and losing your arm and losing your leg. I promise you, you will stop eating ice cream. And I promise if you don't, you'll be dead. <laughs> yeah. No, this this is a good point. It's, you know, uh, it's simple stuff. You know, I mean, we don't have to... You know, it's just like a lot of addicts, like, you know, I did the same thing, uh, smoking cigarettes. On the pack, it says it can cause cancer. So what I'm yeah. saying is I'm picking up this thing, I'm smoking it, knowing that I can get cancer. Have you ever seen people in cancer that have cancer? Uh, not nice. <laughs> okay, not nice. To die like that, not nice. I had one of my black belts died like that. Didn't mm -hmm. want to quit smoking. And he got cancer. And I was with him when he died. Not nice. Okay? So the bottom line is this. How do you want to live your life? You know, if you want to live your life like the wild, wild west, go for it. I don't stop anybody from doing anything. I just say, here, this is what can happen. But if you don't believe it can happen. See, most people don't think, oh, it ain't going to happen to me. Mm -hmm. All right? That's that's the the, the standard. Okay? Well, then what does it happen to everybody else but you? <laughs> it's stupid. Yeah. I think you to, it's very arrogant to think that you're above something that's so, you know, ingrained in, in, in your being. I mean, look, I mean, look, you know, smoking is going to mess you up. I don't care. I used to smoke. All right. When I got out of treatment, my kids were riding in the car with me. Little kids. They were, I think, seven and five. And they said, Daddy, you're not going to die from drugs, but... You're going to die from smoking. Little kids are telling me this. I took the cigarettes, threw them out the window. I got six Nicorette gums. I chewed them for six days, and I quit. Mm. I Good wanted to you. watch my kids grow up. I didn't want, yeah. to want them to watch me in the hospital getting chemotherapy. Yeah. It's so a, that was my choice. It's a powerful thing. Uh, I've heard... People say that, you know, the, the moment when humans change is when they can no longer bear the consequences of not changing. That's and, what I'm saying. Uh, That's exactly yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Unfortunately, most people do it the last minute when it's too late sometimes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's probably a good spot for uh, this question, which is how does somebody who, you know, may have addicted addictive tendencies even. Um, how does somebody guard against, you know, full-blown addiction? Well, it's kind of hard to guard against any of this because, you know, first of all, you do drugs, you feel good. And if you're not <laughs> feeling so good, why would you want to quit? Yeah. And you go back into the adage that we just talked about is, well, I'm not addicted and it ain't going to get me like this guy. And I remember guys talking about, oh, I'm not as bad as that guy. I only have two DUIs. He has four. I mean, come on, man. You know? I mean, we can rationalize and do whatever we want to anything. But in reality, you know, people don't know how to deal with stress. We don't know how to deal with anxiety. We don't live in the present. We live in the future, and we hang out on the past. And people think, you know, there's no such thing as, I always say to people, there's no such thing as, as failure. Okay? Those are your lessons. They're not failures. Those are lessons. The only time something becomes a failure is when you quit and you give up. 
period. That's why I wrote the book. I wrote my life story in my book because my family were like a mafia family. My uncle was a hitman. My father was a heroin dealer. Uh, you know, I was in gangs when I was a kid. So, I, you know, my uncle killed a caterer at my wedding because he insulted him. So my book, The Kid Whoa. from the South Bronx Who Never Gave Up. So that's the book I wrote. It's all my whole life story, but being homeless before I, I got divorced and I was homeless. Uh, my friend lent me a hotel room where somebody lent me a bicycle because my wife got everything else. And I had a little job where I used to put quarters in when I had quarters. So I know what it's like not to have anything. And then as time, when I got into recovery at 37 years old, all right, I went back to school because I only went to the ninth grade. And I got a GED and I went back to school for addiction. I went to college, but I looked at the books and the books were five years old. By the time I got out of college and have all this debt, it was worthless. So I didn't continue. So I got my certifications. I got all that other kind of stuff. And then I got together with Dr. Blum and he put me on the science team. And we had, we did research at my facility that I had, one of them anyway. And uh, I'm now in 76 metal, medical and scientific peer reviewed journals. Most doctors don't have one. But in reality, I only have a GED. So I wrote this book to show people, doesn't matter your school, and if you're complaining about your family, I'll loan your mind for a while. Let me know how you do. Real simple stuff, you know? And I don't talk from a book. I talk from my life. Yeah. And that's just the way it goes. Yeah, no kidding. It sounds like you had quite a crazy childhood. How, how, did, you, uh, how did you find out that your uncle killed a caterer at your wedding? Well, it was real simple. He got arrested. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that'll do it. I guess I, guess I didn't What do you uh, think? You think that's a good sign? <laughs> well, they, they, they couldn't prove that he did it, to be honest with you. And uh, they sent him to a mental institution for two years. Then he went to trial, okay, but they couldn't prove that he did it. But we know that he may have did it. Let's put it that way. It's double jeopardy now, so he can't get retried for that. Meanwhile, he's 88 now, okay? okay. But the, the bottom line is, is that life, I was molested when I was a kid. So I could talk mm -hmm. to just uh, talk to anybody about stuff, okay? I've been through, I used to think I was cursed. I even went to a priest and asked him to get the evil out of me. And he laughed and said, here's two hour, 10 hour fathers and five hero Marys and you'll be fine. Mm. But I found right. out later on that all the things that happened to me, and you know, I, I was in another podcast and the guy said to me, I usually ask my guest, if you were 20 years old, what would you change? You know what I told him? Nothing. He said, what do you mean nothing? I said, because everything that happened to me in my life brought me to where I am today. And being in, in, uh, in recovery for 37 years, being in a treatment, you know, having treatment centers and all this stuff for 35 years, I started my treatment center with $300 and I turned it into 45 million. We sold it in 2012, my partners and I, for 45 million. We started with nothing. I was the only employee. Then we got another one. My partners were unbelievable. One guy knew the internet, my other partner did the business, I did the program. And um, over the years, 18 years, we wound up selling it. Good for you guys. That's going to happen to your life. Yeah. So I'm still doing this stuff. I'm still out there lecturing. I'm still writing books. 
I want to give back to what was so freely given to me. It ain't about money. It's about helping God's kids. Yeah. No, I love that. So, wow, there's so many directions we could take that with all of the things you just mentioned. Um, I guess, but maybe to, because I know we have uh, some time constraint to stay on the topic of addiction, at least for now. Um, what I, I've seen in your work on your website and, and, and different things online um, that you are a proponent of uh, holistic treatment of addiction. Uh, how would you describe that as in, in contrast to, uh, you know, standard treatment? Okay, let's look. We, we did standard treatment also. That's how we wind up selling it for someone. We did what we did. Nobody in the country did. I don't even think in the world, actually. Right. But first of all, let's distinguish what holistic means. What it really means, if you look it up in the dictionary, it means holism, comprehensive approach, okay, to treatment. So that's what we did. We we checked the, all the things I was telling you about the gut and about the brain and about all those things. We also did aromatherapy, okay? We did acupuncture. We did neurofeedback, biofeedback. We did research. We did hyperbaric medicine. We did colonics. We did massage, not to be fancy, Lymphatic massage gets the drugs out of your body on a cellular level because drugs are in your body and your fat, it's in the cells of your body. We did, uh, what else? We did? Oh, we did light and sound therapy, also people. And we did EMDR, we did motivational interviewing, we did all the, the standard, we did group, individual, we had family therapy. We had a whole gamut of things. We had an aftercare program where they went. Okay, as long as they, we were alive and they were alive, they could come to aftercare. Those who were out of town would come on there once a week on Skype. So we never let people drop off into the, you know, the wilderness unless they did it on their own. So that's what I mean by holism. We looked at the brain. We did studies, uh, QEEG studies to see the electrical output of the brain, which was were deficient. I mean... Nobody, you know, if anybody asks around in Florida, oh, most people know me that have been around because what we did, they're just learning about now. Mm. And I don't know if you're familiar with hyperbaric medicine, what that is. I'm not. There are a couple terms that you mentioned, admittedly, that I'm not familiar with. <laughs> okay, let me clear up a few. All right. Hit me. Hyperbarics is oxygen under pressure. All right. Now, that was used for the bends. Remember when divers went down, if they went down real far and they went up and they have to go into a chamber to, okay, to get the nitric oxide out of their uh, their blood? And you, you understand okay. that, right? You heard about that, yeah. right? Well, yeah. they also found out that it heals wounds. Now, I worked with a Dr. Harch and a Dr. Williamson who went to the Senate and got them to approve wound healing for diabetics in the VA because they were chopping legs off, arms off. I mean, and because the sores didn't heal, they formed gangrene, and they had to cut the limb off. So hyperbarics does that. Also, it works with TBI cases, and TBI means traumatic brain injury mm. cases. Mm -hmm. So it helps also to heal the brain. Now, I don't think anybody would argue that drugs and alcohol damage the brain, right? Yeah. Okay, so we use hyperbarics to help repair that damage. Hmm. Now, acupuncture has been around eh, 5,000 years. What does they know? Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. Know? 
So if something's been around so long, I think it has some value. Yeah. Now, QEEGs, what that means, they put a helmet on your head, with, they put some gel on, and they put these electrodes all over your head, and they can determine, determine by the electrical output of the brain where there are deficiencies. They take a baseline, okay, and they see where the deficiencies are. And through neurofeedback, doing these exercises, these brain exercises, because the brain's like a, like a muscle, okay, by, and they will improve those areas. See, so and then we also used, I uh, mean, we did some, oh, we did nutrient therapy. Amino acids are their precursors for neurotransmission. Okay. So we did so much stuff. We did studies on it, fMRIs, CAT scans. Uh, Dr. Blum did all this work. We got 15, we're in 15 medical journals with uh, just with the nutrients alone. And it's really, really interesting because a lot of people say, well, you don't know if, uh, you know, what's in those vitamins. And they're correct. Unless you go for GMP lab, which is a third party to see what's in your nutrients, okay? And you get a, what is known as a federal assay. And what we did for research, because when you're doing research, you have to have the exact compound and give it to every university to, so they can come out with the same results. So you have to take it a little further, the molecular structure of each nutrient. Uh, let's say uh, calcium. There's such a thing as calcium citrate and calcium carbonate. Well, carbonate, you don't absorb hardly at all. Maybe you get 20%. Citrate is much, much higher. So there is a difference. And certain nutrients have certain fillers. They come from different, you know, different places. So right. you have to know what you're doing when you do research. Yeah, sounds like there's a lot there. So out of all the things that you've done, what have you found to be most effective? Like I'm sure out of all the broad range of things you guys have done that, you know, some have, have seemed to work better than others. So what, what have you guys okay. took, taken away from it? That's a good question. I'll give you the best answer I can. If you get into yeah, rapport, sure. with I'm somebody, not... <laughs> if you get into rapport with somebody and you touch their heart, not just their head, that is the best because then they're going to listen. And listening is a skill. Hearing is biological. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I th there's there's only so much that outward treatment can do, right? On some level, there's there's a a sense of you know connection and and something that's a little more human that maybe you can't get through a, a treatment or a, a nutrient therapy. You know. Well, here's the deal. It's it's a package deal. But if you don't have the rapport and you don't have people believing in what you're doing to them, okay, let me I'll give you an example with addicts. All sure. right, we were giving them this, there's a, a, a this thing called Prorovite. It's a multivitamin and mineral and much more, but it's a nanotechnology. In other words, it's a liquid. You squish it around your mouth for 35 seconds on an empty stomach. You swallow it, and it goes into, they have a paper on it, it goes into your bloodstream in 189 seconds. So it bypasses the gut, the acid in the gut, and all that that breaks down all your nutrients. All right? So we gave it to the clients, and then we stopped it. In three weeks or two weeks, we stopped it. Okay? They were asking for the nutrient. The only thing I know addicts ask for is drugs, not vitamins. So, and they were feeling great. See, the healthier you are with nutrients, the less you're going to feel. 
It's real simple. The most the unhealthy that you are, you're going to feel a difference. You'll have different energy, different focus. The clouds in your brain will leave. So it's it's a whole different ball game. Yeah. Hmm. Um, that's interesting. So, in terms of uh, well, also diet. Like, oh, I'm sorry, there's diet. No, go go very ahead. Important. All right, diet is very important. We didn't have sodas. We didn't have none of that garbage in the treatment center. They got organic and natural foods. Uh, we diet. Listen, you know, most people say, "Well, you, you don't you need vitamins. You don't need that if you eat right." I was giving a lecture up in Gainesville to uh, all the addiction doctors. All right, and I was talking about nutrients, and they said one of the doctors raised their hand. And he said, "John, no disrespect, but look, if you eat right, you don't need to take vitamins." I said, "Doctor, let me ask you a question." Would you look around the room and tell me who eats right? The whole place busted up hysterical laughing. I bet. Who eats right? <laughs> How many people you know that eat right? And then what about our food supply? How's that look? Uh, all the chemicals, all the processed foods. All that damn ice cream. I love ice cream. I'm, I'm on your side. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you there. Um, so what... For somebody who's battling addiction, what do you, advice do you have for them? May, say it's um, I don't know. I, I'm I'm thinking of like you know your average person that maybe has uh, a thing with with alcohol or but hasn't. It's not like a problem yet. It's not a formal problem yet, right? Um, but but somebody's you know slipping down the slope. What did what advice do you give to that person? Well, here's the deal: most people don't feel like they're slipping down any slope. They don't even feel like they're on a slope. Let's put mm -hmm. it that way, okay? And life starts showing up when you start abusing drugs and alcohol. So that's real simple. The wife leaves, or you keep fighting with the family. The kids start crying. You lose jobs. You come late for work. Uh, all kinds of things, you get DUIs. I mean, there, there's all kinds of signs that show up, but addicts keep saying, oh, that cop shouldn't have been on that corner. He's never on that corner. <laughs> I mean, this is yeah. what we do, okay? So the, the, the time that people, like for instance, for me, all right, I was the most unlikely person to get, to get about even a year clean, definitely not 37 years clean, okay? I didn't go into treatment because I felt I had a problem. The only reason I went to treatment is because my family did an intervention on me. I told you who my family was. Okay? Yeah. I was a an <laughs> intervention on them. All right? And yeah. I was out of control, and I didn't realize it. I didn't see it. I said, okay. My mother cried, and she said she'll never speak to me again unless I get help. She doesn't want to go to my funeral. So I felt bad. I said, okay. I said to myself, let me... Let me go to treatment and get everybody off my back. Maybe I need a break. But before I had a break, I had some Coke in my sock. I went into the bathroom, then I hit a Coke, and then I went into treatment. And my life changed. I had a spiritual, what I call a spiritual awakening in treatment. It was kind of weird, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I always call myself a recovering Catholic, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so... What happened was uh, I wanted to go home during Christmas, okay? And, you know, I said, listen, I want to go home to my wife and my kids, and it's Christmas time. I'm in this treatment center, okay? And they said, no. 
And I got pissed off. And when I got angry, I didn't get just angry. I got rageful. I punched the door of the room. I walked into the room. I was yelling and screaming and pissed off. And I remember in my head, my therapist says, John, you ever get on your knees and pray? I said, look, man. I never forget. I said, look, you mean God doesn't listen to me? How about if I'm standing in the closet? You think he hears me? You know? I said, that's bullshit. All right? So he says, no, but humility. And for some reason, it may have stuck. So I went to get my knee down. I couldn't get my knee down. I know that may sound ridiculous to everybody, but this is the truth. I couldn't get my knee down. And I finally pushed it down. And I finally pushed my other knee down. And for the first time, I think of my life, I pray to a God, whatever that is, okay, to relieve me of this. And whatever he wanted me to do, I would do. And I'm going to tell you something, and this was like magic to me. My rage went away, my anger went away, and I was peaceful. And I never, ever felt anything like that. As sick as I was, I tried to get my anger back. It didn't work. <laughs> and that's where I started my journey. Wow. No kidding. Do you, yeah. uh, do, do you, do you have any kind of relationship with the person who, who prompted you with that? Or, or is it just, just some person that worked there you never no, saw it was, again? It was, it was my therapist. Mm, okay. Gotcha. No kidding. That's You know, you, you never know what gets through to the human mind. Okay? And it, the message got through somehow. Yeah. And yeah. the reason I really wanted to go home was because everybody used to come to my house and give me cards with Coke in it. As a present. <laughs> it wasn't because I wanted to see the kids and the family. I was fighting yeah. with the wife all the time. All right? I wanted to go get high. Yeah. No kidding. How has your outlook on life changed since then? Would you describe? Are you kidding? <laughs> but, well, I know it's a big question. Take it take it wherever you want no, to take it. No, it's not a big question. The question is this. How would, how would your life change if you were in my life? <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> My life well, is completely different, completely different, you know? And I always still want to learn, okay? I learned one thing. In order to be a good teacher, you have to be a good student. Mm. And I know another thing is that you must continue to learn to upgrade yourself because you only can take people as far as you are. Like I've been doing the martial arts for over 60-something years. Matter of fact, I was 72, no, 73, and I fought in the tournament. I was really? the oldest guy there. <laughs> you know, but, you know, I got two hip replacements because of uh, karate, you know. Mm. I can't kick anymore like I used to, so I only can punch. Which, you know, I got the first three points on the match. I fought a guy 12 years younger than me, right? Really? And I got the first three. He got the first, He got five points. I got three points. He won. But it was okay. I got out there just to prove to myself that I could still move. Yeah. Good for you. That's incredible. Yeah, listen, and I set an example for others. Never give up, man. I don't care who you are. If you follow your passion, okay, and you have it in your gut, go. Don't listen to anybody's story because when I started my treatment, somebody said, oh, it won't work. You don't take insurance, blah, 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 blah. No, they're all wrong. You know, today they all ask me, what I do, I, matter of fact, I'm working for a place called South Beach Detox. It's in North Miami Beach and great owners. I wouldn't have never got out of what I call retirement. I don't even know why I say that, but 
I wasn't retired really, but I went, I was doing books, I was doing podcasts, I was doing lectures. So I guess you could call that retirement. I wasn't working in the treatment center. And I went to work for them and I'm changing it all around to what I used to have. And they're amenable to it. So they really care about the clients. A lot of these treatment centers are garbage. It's all about heads in a bed. It has nothing to do with helping people. Unfortunately. So how do you how do you prevent that from happening? How do you incentivize places like this to have better programs that that are optimized for the people they're treating and not just to have heads in a bed and, and okay, it's very difficult. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because you know, it's it's really interesting what happened. The insurance companies, the treatment centers were screwing the insurance companies and the insurance companies were screwing the treatment centers. It's almost like our government. The Republicans are getting even with the Democrats, the Democrats are getting even with the rub, and nothing gets done. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So what happens with treatment centers, okay? See, the way we did it is when people came in, I gave them four free choices to do. Hyperbarics, massage, colonics, acupuncture, whatever they wanted to do, okay? And then whatever they want to choose afterwards, we would charge them. But like at half price, okay? Just minimal charge. So because if, if you get things too much for free, people don't appreciate it. True. That I learned, okay? There is a value, and it has to be fair for both parties. And so what we did is I just did it to break even and use it, believe it or not, as as a way of helping people and also marketing because we did it not what nobody else did. Mm -hmm. So we learned, I learned how to balance that out where we just made a little money, but we weren't losing any money. But most places don't want to bother with that. They want yeah. to quick in and out. And a lot of people that do real estate are the ones that got into the treatment business and they think it's like houses. <coughs> mm -hmm. These are not houses. These are people. Yeah, that's too bad. You know, angry people, nasty people, uh, sick people, and you have to learn how to just deal with it. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I uh, had a lot of discussions recently around the ideas uh, around the idea of incentive structures, and you know, like people are going to take the the path of least resistance, whether it be in you know, the financial world, people, you know, saying that investment products are green when they're really not just so they can sell them. Or, um, you know, uh, you look at the political system and, and different lobbyists and corruption that occurs there. Like it, it's it's always, um, I think, an interesting question to ask, like, how can we incentivize this system to get better outcomes? Like with, with that thought in mind, knowing that humans take the path of least resistance and and do the most to well, optimize the their own gain. Is the problem as far as the solution goes? I think that's very complicated. The yeah. problem is, is that the government has always been crooked. It's the way it is, it's right? True. They used to leave crumbs on the table. Now they don't even leave crumbs anymore. We're following Rome, okay? We're just becoming just like Rome, and we all know what happened to Rome. See, people in our country think that it can't happen to us. Don't believe it. We couldn't. We didn't believe that anybody would storm the Capitol. Yeah. Guess what? I guess we're wrong. So the problem with the you know, what's happening with humankind, as far as I'm concerned, is they're 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 addicted to money, power, and control. And as long as you have those three things involved, 
and you're addicted to that, we're in trouble. Now, I, I, you're doing your part. I'm doing my part. We do the best we can, and other people are doing their part to, to help to, to change that tide, that flow. Okay? Is it possible? I think all things are possible. But it's difficult. Yeah. So I'm not going to make light of it that it's a simple just uh, getting up. And I've been trying to get to the government to talk to them about what we need to do with addiction, and I can't get through. Yeah. And I got... My credentials are as best as you're going to get. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's who you know, not what you know. True. <laughs> Very true. All right. Before uh, we get you out of here, I got one last question for you. Um, do you have a favorite failure of yours that led to a, a greater success later on down the road? Absolutely. I have the best because I did it twice. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. What you got? Okay, when I when I my first treatment center, okay, I I went in partners with my my, my doctor and my therapist, and uh, the long story I, I don't want to badmouth anybody, but it didn't work out. All right, it took they took the treatment center out from under me. Now I'm an addict. I'm a street kid. You mess with me, I punch you in the face. Okay, but I'm in recovery now, so I couldn't do that. Sure. And I didn't have a lawyer. Okay, that wrote up a document. I just shook hands. All right? So that happened the first time. The second time for my other treatment center that I owned, and they all were successful, by the way. The second treatment, I had a, a, a corporate raider. All right? A corporate raider is somebody who hires people to build up and, and goes in partners with people to build up their business and then takes it out from under them. I didn't have a lawyer again. Mm. I got to take it out from under me again. <laughs> was it built up? Was it good? Bye. Well, that was my lessons, not my failures. Yes. Because yes, uh, I kept going. Read my book, The Kid from the South Bronx Who Never Gave Up, and you get a real kick out of it. I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like uh, there's probably a ton of stories jammed into that thing. So well, there's a whole bunch of stories jammed in. <laughs> we don't have enough time for that, my friend. Well, we might have to set up another podcast to dive into it. <laughs> but, uh, John, it was a pleasure chatting with you. Where can people go to connect with you? Um, let me see. What's the Oh, they can go on John, the letter J, Giordano.com, G-I-O-R-D-A-N-O.com. And my, I think my phone number's on there, my website, so everything's there. Phone no, number, see, you're a brave, brave man. I'm sorry? I said phone number on there. You're a brave man. Oh, yeah. No, I, I put it on anywhere. It's on my book. You know, I'm here to help people. You know. Excellent. I love it. I love it. Well, John, thank you so much for being on the show. And thank Pleasure. you for having me.